Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 247, recorded at Big Dog Studio in Eugene, Oregon. This show is made possible by... Oh man, that's such a pickup. You gotta try this tiger tea from Sacred Blossom Farms. In fact, if you go to sacredblossomfarms.com right now and enter in Real Herb, all caps, 15, you can save 15% on your next order. Tell them that Practical Herbal sent you. If you haven't yet gotten over to herbsinaction.com to check out the replays, you should do that. We are in the process of releasing all of those replays. The videos are available. Go over to herbsinaction.com, click on the session page you're interested in, and enjoy. Now, here are your hosts. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Patrick Hunter. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Radio. Okay, Patrick, you're totally trying to slow that down. Well, we say that. Well, I'm trying to, <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't always work that way. I was trying to enunciate and be clear because sometimes I have a tendency to speak way too fast. People can't understand what I'm saying when I say too fast. Well, that's when you're giving a speech. No, even when I'm talking with people and I get excited about stuff, then I start talking too fast. It's hard not to be excited about the plants. Um, well, yeah, especially after last night. I mean, we're recording this. Literally the day after the November third uh, election, and aside from the national stuff, which still hasn't been settled yet, what has been settled in our state of Oregon is the mushrooms. Yes, they measures one o one ten and one o nine. Yep, one o nine, one ten. Yep. Passed, and what those measures are. So, and measure one o nine makes it legal uh, to do um, dosing of psilocybin, which is the product from. Magical mushrooms, if you will. And they did not specify that it had to be just psilocybin. So they left it open that the dosing could actually be an actual mushroom. Okay, that's fine. They okay. left the language as right. far as I could see. The it language was, was open. open for that. But what it, and so what they did is it, over the next one to two years, the um, Oregon Health Authority is going to be looking at setting up uh, treatment clinics for um, the use of psilocybin in the treatment of anxiety, depression, PTSD, uh, addiction, and a few other things. There's been a lot of promising studies that have been done. Um, there was a show, there was a, a, a segment on 60 Minutes earlier this year all about psilocybin and its effects and what, where it's helped people and what it's done. This would be under a controlled situation. These would be basically like it's basically treatment. Now, where the other language of the bill was interesting or the, the measure was interesting was that it, by the word clinic or treatment center, it didn't mean it was going to be at your local clinic or hospital, it could be an alternative healing center that that has set up their system to handle those. Yeah, part of what I really liked about Measure 109, um, what I read of Measure 109, was that it looks an awful lot like they've left the language loose enough to allow practitioners who go through their licensing program but don't necessarily need to have a PhD or an MD or a doctor's license or a medical license, um, th- those folks will be able to set up an appropriate clinic to offer psilocybin therapy to people. Right. And it it did not look like it was going to require psilocybin therapy to be a pharmaceutical-based preparation. It looked like they left it open enough that – for instance, someone who's a native medicine worker type of person could set up such a, a facility or a clinic. They could call it a clinic, but it doesn't necessarily have to feel like a laboratory. 
and they could offer ceremonies to help people, you know, seek enlightenment or heal the the spiritual problems that traditionally mushrooms have been used to heal mm-hmm. anyway. So there's it looked to me like there was the opening for that, which is very promising in terms of moving in the direction of legalizing the mushrooms. Right. And you know, this kind of coincides with our um our, our interview last week with Bette Williams. Yeah. Um, who, who was the author of Perfect The Wild timing. Kindness. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously we, we kind of t- tried to time it for that because this was interesting and it was um, part of it. And one of the interesting things that, that the at the towards the end of the conversation, you know, she talked about um, the decrim movement or in this case. Decriminalizing. Really, yeah, the yeah. decriminalization movement. And she was really against it. And, and I was interested to see why she was against it. Uh, but then when I had mentioned to her the language – and Measure 110, which does decriminalize uh, the use or the possession of small quantities of cocaine, heroin, um, I believe um, ecstasy, I believe was on there as well. I can't remember. Yeah. So if some of those drugs that uh, are Schedule 1 and still are. Mm-hmm. It, see, the thing is, is what what a lot of the mainstream – I'm going to use this term. I hate it. But the mainstream media was saying yesterday to get the clicks through was – that we legalized it. And that's not the case. It's still illegal. If you have over that small amount, you will have a felony charge. Okay, so let's back it up for a second here. Right. Bet's experience and what she was what she began the conversation with was the idea of um, the decrim or decriminalization movement, which is a movement that is, as I understand it, aiming to decriminalize possession of any substances. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have heroin, you can have a bunch of heroin in your back pocket, no problem. What Measure 110 did was included heroin, for instance, in its decriminalization effort. The idea of Measure 110 is that if you have a very small amount, and I don't remember the amounts, but you have a very small amount of, let's say, heroin in your back pocket, and you get stopped by the police for whatever reason, and they find that out, they can give you a fine, but instead of sending you straight to jail, which is what it used to be. Right. You're cited for, I think it's a class B misdemeanor. It's a $100 fine. And or you can choose to go to treatment. You have a choice. Right. Mm -hmm. So what this ends up doing for people who, you know, for people who might be using those substances or carrying them is allows for less stringent criminal persecution of those who have very small amounts. So in other words, probably the actual users of the drug, not the people who are dealing it, not the people who are selling it, not the people who are creating it. Right. Just the very – The end user. Yeah. And the idea behind 110 is if you do that with a drug like heroin, you're more likely to get – people into treatment and to help them move on with their lives and get off the drug. So if you're talking about I think where I think where Bet didn't like the decrim movement was that one tends to be not just for the tiny amounts, but you know, a pound of heroin. That's possible. I haven't researched the decrim movement. But what she was also concerned about is once, you know, when you would be when you would get cited for those things that that could affect your practice or what you do, and that was the point of it too. It was that you know a drug problem is a drug problem. Yes, and, and it needs it, to be attended it, to. It's a health thing. So 
if you um, you're in a, a career position that you like would, a doctor, yeah, let's say you're a doctor and it happened, you would lose your license. You or a lose therapist. Your you know? So you're a therapist or you're a doctor. Yeah, you whatever. Lose, you could lose your license and livelihood from that charge. Now yeah. that's not the case, but you have the opportunity to pay the fine or go to treatment. Right. And and I think one of the areas where she also had frustrations or concerns about the decrim movement was that she doesn't see psilocybin mushrooms as being truly the same level of danger as heroin, which is the one we keep talking about. But, you know, heroin or cocaine or. Yeah. And I think that I would agree with her on that, that psilocybin mushrooms are much less dangerous in part because they are exactly as nature handed them to us. Yeah, so, they, they haven't been extracted, refined, modified, another chemical process to pull out them and, right. and that kind of thing. Yeah, and one of the things that happens when you get to something like, like heroin, I mean, that's no longer in its natural form, not even close. Heroin comes out of the pharmaceutical industry's practices. Personally, I think heroin and similar types of drugs should be treated like drugs. They should be treated you know, with the the same rules that apply to the pharmaceutical industry should apply to heroin and its, its you know, compatriots. Um, but psilocybin mushrooms are treated exactly as you would treat a tomato mm-hmm. or a piece of basil, mm-hmm. you know. They're treated with, you, you eat them, you can cook them, you can make them into tea. They're things that can be done at home. They don't need to be processed in any special way. They don't require any special equipment and at that point, they're really a food level in terms of how you handle them. Right. But does 110, does 110 um, allow for the possession of a small monocella of, of magic of, mushrooms, if you will? Yes. Okay. It provi- provides for a very small amount of psilocybin. Yeah. I mean, if you, got, if you had it on you, you would be, yes. you would be fined. It doesn't make it – again, I want to really, yeah. really Ill- – it doesn't make it legal to it do it. It doesn't make it legal. It just means you'll you'll get a fine and you will not be brought up on yes. f- huge level charges that destroy your career, your family, it's like your life. It's a parking ticket. Yeah. You got it. You yes. pay it off. It's done. So one of the side effects that happens um, when decriminalization motions are passed is that the police are pretty much being instructed by the government and by the people to not look so hard for people who are using. So when cannabis was decriminalized, it meant that people, the police, were no longer looking for potheads. They weren't mm. trying to find them. Because, they, they, well, they, they weren't focus, low-hanging fruit. Yeah, they focus on different, they focus on different infractions. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're more likely to be looking for the drunk drivers, I, I would guess, than someone who may be carrying some you know, psilocybin mushroom in their pocket. Right. So I think that that's the other piece is that it 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 suggests to everybody, the thor- of all the authorities, everybody, that it's probably not wise or it doesn't make sense to try to find people who are carrying very small amounts of illegal substances in their back pocket. Because, <laughs> you know, everybody right. carries it in their back pocket. Have you been really frustrated with Google searches lately? You want to get your page up high in the rankings and it seems like every time you do a search on your topic, you end up way down at the bottom several pages in. Oh, and the companies at the top are the really, really big ones. You want to contact Mud Paw Design House. 
They are really good at helping with SEO. They'll help you get the right keywords and get your page rankings up. Go to Mudpod Design House at mudpodesign.com to get your SEO right. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because of our um, our experience with cannabis this year has been one where it's been just so much more of an open part of our life in our house than it ever has been. Right. In fact, there was a quote that I wanted to read from The Wild Kindness. It's right at the very end. Um, Don't ruin it. No spoilers. Yeah, it's, it's not. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in this book. Um, so. She's talking about um, – she had been talking with – she shares a story about talking with a barber. Um, I think it was in Texas but I can't remember offhand. And the barber is a man who had been in the military, had seen some combat of some sort. Uh, I'm not going to even try to remember the details. But he was suffering from severe PTSD mm-hmm. and you know that, that makes your life pretty miserable. And he – he brought up the the mushrooms. He brought up all of the conversation. She, you know, as she tells the story, she was trying to avoid really talking a lot about it. But, you know, she he, – he talked and he talked about his perspective. And when she walked away from that conversation with him, she pretty much said her mind was blown. And um, so I'm going to read, you know, just this quote, small quote here. Quote, why was it blown? That being her mind. Our conversation encountered a message I hear all the time within the movement, that psychedelics must be destigmatized in the minds of mainstream Americans, that we should take out the association with the counterculture and educate them that mushrooms can be, if used in a clinical setting with a trained professional, a miracle medicine for our epidemic-level ills. Who exactly are these uptight people they say we need to educate? Not these men. Working class people who have often lived at ground zero zero of the opiate epidemic, who are familiar with the drug culture of the military and the commerce of dealing, tend to be very smart about drugs. They can't afford not to be. The population that is uptight about psychedelics from my own experience, if I may be so vulgar vulgar as to use this label, label, are the liberal elite, end quote. She goes on to talk more, but I thought that was really a powerful description of where we are and where we have been. And while you and I are definitely not, you know, elite, not even close, we are definitely liberal, and we think, you know, we're intellectual about a lot of things. Well, I think you said it really well this morning, you know, because we're dealing with the the you know, the blowback from last night still and don't know where we're at. Um, it's it's that it's not that you talked about uh, a binary choice versus a gray choice and a gray meaning yeah. that there's so many different complications in things that you're doing or people are doing and the rights of people and what they want to do. And that um, one size doesn't fit all in this idea that there's a necessarily a wrong and a right on everything, even, you know, basic as you know, child rearing by same-sex couples or child rearing by uh, opposite-sex couples. And, you know, just because this one is this way and this one is that way doesn't mean one's better or worse than the other. And there's, you know, you know the studies about anything. But as a liberal, I always think that that's what I think about is, you know, are they good people? Are the kids taken care of and loved? Right. It doesn't matter to me at that point whether it's, 
same sex or if it's opposite sex. The kids are the are are the are where the the well being is. So I liked what you said this morning about um, about the gray that liberals, if I can be so bold, <laughs> is to say are more in the thinking part of it, in the gray part of it, to say that their one size doesn't fit all. We all agree child abuse is bad. You conservative, liberal, child abuse is bad. Yep. We can agree on that. Neglecting children, not we giving them food, too. bad. Right? So there are yep. such things that we can agree on. There's things that we can do. And, and I think I, I liked your idea that uh, being liberal really means looking at a larger swath of the issue than just – that's wrong. Yeah. It's about being comfortable in the gray space. And I think when she describes liberal elite – She's really describing people who have enough money to not be in fear all the time because I kind of think the not liberal elite are people and the people who want black and white. They want it to be right or wrong. They want that kind of simplicity. I think they they have to – they suffer. I mean I know when I'm in pain, I kind of just want everything simplified. I don't want to be in gray space when I'm in pain and when I'm suffering. Mm -hmm. And so most of my life, I might be able to be liberal, but there have been times in my life where things have gotten really hard. It's been hard to keep moving. Just even getting up and getting out of bed in the morning is really hard because I'm suffering. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 want, I want the choices to become simple at that point because it's taking everything in my body, everything in my soul, just to make a very simple choice. So I kind of think that the not liberal elite, they have to live in those spaces. Maybe they want it black and white. Maybe they don't. I think exactly what she said. You can't, you can't say that the working class people, like the barber she's talking about, that they don't know. They mm-hmm. have a lot of clarity about a lot of the issues that they're dealing with. If you don't suffer, if you don't live in a place where economically you don't know if you're going to have electricity the next day, if you have never walked on a street and been able to pick out and known that the people around you, you know, that guy is addicted to crack, this one over here is, you know, trying to score something, that one down the street is trying to deal something, those two need to hook up. You know, if you you can walk through those zones – how do you know? Mm-hmm. So you have this picture based on what you've seen on movies, read in books maybe, about what those areas are like and it's – you fear. You feel fearful because mm-hmm. you didn't grow up in that climate. I imagine it would be very much like if you were a gorilla and you were dropped in the middle of the desert and expected to just survive. It's scary. A gorilla mm-hmm. is not made for the desert, you know. Right. So I think that's really that's really what the liberal elite thing is about. When you said Girl in the Desert, I'm like, oh, is that another uh, segment from her book? No. <laughs> no, it's not. Although perhaps she and I should have a conversation on that. <laughs> One of the things that – there was another quote that she has in here that I really liked and I thought that one of the – Arguments that people have had against legalizing psilocybin mushrooms and against even researching them, you know. And it was the same problem that we ran into when we were trying to get cannabis legalized for many, many years Mm -hmm. is that there's a claim that if science hasn't studied it, it can't be healthy for you. 
that, you know, we said we still have cannabis listed as a Schedule One, absolutely prohibited drug at the federal level. Right. And Schedule One means there's absolutely no good that can come of this. Absolutely none. Mm-hmm. It's a very black and white ranking. So when right. something gets put into there, it cannot be good. And the problem with doing Schedule One, in part, is that we aren't recognizing that science is constantly changing. It changes its mind all the time because it's always finding new information, right? And sometimes science just needs to look at what's already established and what you know tradition has had to say. Yeah, they do ignore you know you know centuries of human experience because there wasn't a scientific method. Right. So yeah, there's this is the quote from Betts from The Wild Kindness. Okay. Quote, psychedelic plants and fungi have had their proving ground for thousands of years, and the evidence of their effectiveness as a medicine already exists, noted in anthropological texts and artifacts, and more importantly, in living traditions all over the world. We know this already. And then she goes on to ask a question, which I think is an incredibly powerful question in light of our recent experiences with cannabis, which we'll talk about in a moment. How many capitalist projects actively depend on human beings forgetting what they already know and possess in order for it to be sold back to them for a price? End of the quote. (laughs) End quote. End quote. Uh, But that – you and I have been – we grew cannabis this year for the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. And we live side by side with the plants. I think thought of them as the twins Mm because there were two of them. And and we harvested the cannabis. We took care of the cannabis, harvested it. We, you know, trimmed it. it. We decarboxylized it. We've taken it. We've Mm -hmm. smoked it. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. I think you 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 licked the glove, so you ate it technically. And we found as we began to experiment that we're also you know like when you get a you know a pug and then suddenly everybody you know has pugs. We found that we're noticing that a lot of people of our generation, so in their late forties to mid fifties, the just say no generation, the just say no generation. A lot of us have started to finally, after only three years, I think it's been that it's been legal now, Maybe three four. or four, yeah. after this much time, we're finally starting to let go, shake off that just say no idea and shake off for some of us did cannabis even before it was legal. But there is that piece of it's illegal and that creates a certain tension and energy around doing it, taking it. Right. And all of us, we're starting to let that go. And we're starting to say this is just a natural part of human experience. Reality, it has been for thousands of years. My own experience with cannabis is that it opens up centers in the brain and, and ability to experience life in a way that's very natural to the human form. We're easily able to get into that space of laughing fits. We're easily able to do those things we've just forgotten. So that's exactly what happened is capitalism prohibited it for a very long time. We've absolutely forgotten. And now it's handing it back to us. I mean, for us right now with cannabis, 
we can grow it ourselves. So you don't have to <clears throat> go to, you know, the, the capitalistic nature of it doesn't have to be really intense. Many people don't and they go to the dispensaries and they, you know, get it that way. But mm -hmm. but it, it's interesting that we are waking up to it and we're starting to let go and explore and remember. And I think that's – I'm hoping that Measure 109 and 110 for at least our state is the first step or is a step in the direction of letting the mushrooms follow that path too because I think they offer humans something we really need. And, you know, like you said earlier that they grow or, or they grow here. Yeah. I mean they're, you can – if there's people that know they're where they are and they'll go and get them. I yeah. Mean, they're know. part of our landscape. So the, the – um, Black market for them and the, um, um, you know, the, the, the overall market for them and the value of them are not as high as other controlled substances because right. you can get that here. You, if you right. can find it here. It's easy to get here. Right, right. You know, yeah. it's not like cocaine, which is, you know, you're not going to find that in the forest here. No, you know? no. Even in the laboratories here, it's probably a little harder to find. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, so it's a little easier. And, I, you know, we listened to an article or a radio show on OPB about this stuff. And, you know, this is – those mushrooms are very prevalent in – I think it was Brazil. Brazil was where they were. And yeah. they don't – I mean, they're everywhere and they don't have a problem. Right. And they don't have a drug trade because of it. And right. they don't export it. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, so it's just one of those things where it's available. And I, there's a term in that art in that article, eth, eth, entheogenic, eth, eth, entheogenic plants. Yes. Right. So you know what that means, right? Please inform me. <laughs> <laughs> those would be the psychedelic plants, psychoactive. Psychoactive. So the mushrooms qualify because they cause an altered state of consciousness. So, so when you take them, then. cannabis would be as well. Personally, I would say that coffee also counts as does tobacco because both of those will alter your perception. Alcohol is also entheogenic. Yeah, it but will you can't. Alter. But, it's a, but it's not a plant. You have to go through a process to get alcohol. There's fermentation right. involved. Right. There is a process for alcohol. So yeah. maybe that one isn't. But it is – I mean maybe – it's not an entheogenic plant. It is entheogenic in that it alters Kratom your perception. would be entheogenic. I think it would be. Yeah. yeah, and I haven't looked at the official list of the of right, right. that what you know what at what point is it limited? But the idea right. with the good plants, as they say in this thing, yeah. is entheogenic would be that You're those, bueno. are, you know, those are the ones that that you don't need to make illegal. Right. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. You don't. Shouldn't have to put a uh, a limit on them. I, I'm glad you know at the end of this that Oregon is actually leading the country in this because. You know, there's been controlled yeah. studies um, with um, – they have to get FDA or um, yeah. DEA permission to do and they've done them uh, in other, in other uh, labs and states in the, in the country and that's, that's been great. But I think this is really just a great – it's nice to be um, not a follower on some of the stuff instead of being a leader and both right. on the psilocybin and the decriminalization. Oregon's the first state in the union to do this yes. and we are being yeah. watched by everybody else. Right. You know, right. I mean, the other thing that passed last night is four or five other states legalized full legalization of recreational marijuana last night. I'm glad to see including that. Including Arizona, which I'm is glad. interesting because that is a very yeah. red state. But Yeah, I'm glad to see that. I mean, so, I don't – I still feel that cannabis is not for everybody. You right. shouldn't you – know, some people just shouldn't do it. Oh, it's I, not the right I, thing. I, mean, I had terrible trepidation about doing yeah. it again this year. It's we, we, one of the ones that we had. I – you know, even when we were just like, hey, okay, we're going to do it tonight, I had I had trepidation about it. In fact, in the first night we were going to do it, I backed out. 
Right. Yeah. I, so everybody, for perspective, I am almost 50 years old. I can count on one hand how many times I've done cannabis, five mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. And three of them were in the last two weeks. Right. And two of them were after age 38. Right. So, you know, you're looking at, in Patrick's similar. Oh, you know, yeah. We've, we've, we, haven't, we haven't messed around with things that are fully illegal beyond perhaps some underage drinking. I'll own that. I might have had some alcohol on campus in Duluth a long, long time ago when I wasn't even 21, so it was double illegal there. But, you double know, secret probation. Right. But, I mean, outside of that, and I, it was actually very little, and I wasn't getting drunk with it. I was just trying to take the edge off. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, but, you know, and, and I understand, but it's, it's <laughs> but, still, it's, it's, you know. But, I mean, we, we haven't done a lot. And, and we came from a decade of the 80s where yeah. it was all Absolutely. just say no, abstinence, no, no, yeah, no. Yeah. And cannabis will kill you, it'll destroy your life. This is an egg, this is your, this is your, you know, the yeah. whole, this is your brain in the frying pan with the egg. Yeah, with the egg, the, yeah. It's on drugs. Any questions? Yeah. And, you know, as I, I do agree that some of this stuff, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to take heroin. Ever. I think it's a very bad choice. To I, take I would that, never yeah. do that. I would not. Right. I would not use cocaine. I would not use right. any of these other. I have no. I no no desire to take MDMA or ecstasy or any of these other things. Right. At all. Right. And I I can admit that I've been interested in the idea of taking the mushrooms, but there's also a big part of me that says, "Well, you already see an awful lot in the world, and I, I you would, already you already talk to the plants, and they talk back. So maybe mushrooms might not." Be good for you. I would like to try it once to say that I've done it and to experience it and see where that takes me. But that's about as far as I'm willing to go. I'm not going to do LSD. I'm not going to do any of that other stuff. Um, You know, and she's got some great stories uh, about her experiences with it and Mm -hmm. seeing different things. I mean, people uh, do pay quite a bit of money to do the ayahuasca and all that stuff. They they go to these things for those experiences. Yeah. And a friend of ours had said, you know, because you know, you and I have both. Well, I don't want to have a bad trip. I don't want to have things go bad. And Mm -hmm. and he and he had said, um, well, you know, you take into it. What you carry into in. it is is how you're going to experience it. So if you go in angry and upset and that yeah, and you and you guess what you're probably going to be tripping at, right? You know, right? But yeah. if you go in and you've you know you're in a nice place in a good place, you're probably going to see different things, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I can say that there was one time when one of my experiences with cannabis was really rather unpleasant. It was terrifying. I mean, it was. Really, it was a very unpleasant experience. And now where I am, I would say I I would not take that back. And it's not because I wasn't enjoyed going through terror. That was awful. But cannabis was healing something very important that needed to be healed in me. And the experience of the terror was part of the ripping that old paradigm out of my system and out of me and letting it go. And that was really frightening. Right. And I expect that psilocybin mushrooms can do similar things. So if you have something that is really big and ugly and terrifying, you might end up having to face it as a part of that. And that could look like a bad trip. Hopefully you walk into it and you've got the medicine person or you've got a therapist or you've got a a team or a group or at least an individual with you who can help you frame it in a way that allows it to be a very healing experience. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you are suffering from some of those issues, I mean, consider 
this alternative treatment is a way to help you. Yeah. It's not going to be right. a lifetime of uh, medication. I mean, uh, from the study uh, that on uh, 60 Minutes was, um, I mean, they had people that had three or four sessions and they stopped smoking. Right. There was someone that I spoke to that did psilocybin mushrooms a very long time ago in his youth. And he said it changed the way that he looked at the world, radically changed it. And life has been much better ever since. So they can help you make big shifts. But that doesn't mean that everybody should be running out and, you know, seeking mushrooms and trying to take them as much as possible. Yeah, that's that. that is, and see, that's where the whole idea of criminalization comes through. Yeah. Because, you know, it seems to be human nature that if we get pleasure out of something and like something, guess what we do? Yeah, we well, consume a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, no matter what, there's always going to be addiction. There's no way to not have addiction as part of the human experience. And it's right. going to be addiction to something. Yeah, exactly. You know, who knows what, but something. It'd be nice if it was maybe addiction to Hello Kitty kitties that do the waving. <laughs> that would be so much more pleasant, don't you think? It would be healthier no, for everybody. No, anything in excess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even the Hello Kitties. Even the Hello Kitties would be too Because, <laughs> you know, you get too many of them and then they fall and then you, they, they, they pin you down and then they find your body later. That could happen. <laughs> could. You could get eaten by wild Hello Kitties. Right. Oh. Well, if you were on psilocybin, you might. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed conversing with uh, Bet. She was very, she was very interesting. She's very passionate, and I love the fact that she's very intelligent about what she's doing. You know, and what what her experiences were. She's done her research. She's she's not just out there like the stereotypical hippie in the woods eating mushrooms and imagining giant um, teddy bears like the Grateful Dead teddy bears mm-hmm. walking around. I mean, she's. Maybe she's had that experience. I don't know. But she's right. intelligent about what she's doing and what she's saying and communicating. For sure. And she was fun. So So with that, put, put an, an herb, herb on, on it. it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA, and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with a healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.